It's road time. Welcome to Rolanda On Demand. I love my podcast because we not only tackle the tough issues of the day, but we deal with hot topics, celebrity interviews, and information that can help you in your business or relationships. This is Rolanda On Demand. Thank you so much for listening to Rolanda On Demand. I'm Rolanda Watts, and it just means the world to me that you're taking time out of your busy day to spend this time with me because... I have the greatest guest today. I'm so excited about having Joy Ann Reed. You know Joy Ann Reed. She's a political analyst at MSNBC and the host of AM Joy. You see her on Saturdays and Sundays from 10 to noon. But I wanted her to come on here and talk today about her latest book, The Man Who Sold America, Trump and the Unraveling of the American Story, which you know is going to be chock full of some juicy things. But I also wanted to talk with her about what, how all of these crazy politics that we're going through, how that affects people who actually cover politics. You know, we see them talking on the news so elegantly, and Joy looks like a queen. You know I'm going to ask her about her recent makeover. And also, you know, I, I, I sit there and I see them breaking down this news, and I just wonder what they're thinking. You know, like if they could just come off that set and just talk. So Joy is going to do that with us because she's got some really serious, serious positions when it comes to Trump and what he's doing. And I want her, I, you know, I want you to hear what was the turning point for her. I mean, when she just said, doggone it, I got to write this book. It might be what has turned your stomach and might have changed your vote. Who knows? But in this political season, you know, we're all glued to the tube at certain times. And, you know, as Joy points out, you know, it's not like the president is just like over there. He's in your face every day. And so it's a different political climate. And um, I tell you, as I tell Joy, I said, Joy, you know something? I'm not a, I mean, let me be transparent with everybody, okay? I'm not real big into politics. I mean, back in the day, you know, I played Jimmy Carter in the high school debate and won. <laughs> yeah, I did work for the Obama campaign. I did do that. I worked for Maynard Jackson back in college, so he ran for mayor. And on Eyewitness News back in the day, I did host the political forum. But in terms of just being out there in the political fray, that's not really my style. Now, I can talk for days about how those politics affect us as people, but Knowing who the politicians are and what the backstory is, eh, I'm a little eh on that. So I depend on people like Joy Reid and, and uh, oh gosh, so many others, Don Lemon and Anderson Cooper and, and uh, Rachel Maddow, you know, all these people who I love because they can take this serious, heavy stuff, disgusting things, and break it down so it makes sense and I can actually have a conversation that I enjoy about it. <laughs> So that's a real compliment to my guest, Joy Reid, today from MSNBC. She is just an amazing woman. She's a Harvard grad, which was uh, exciting news to me. And she had a concentration in film. Isn't that something? In fact, Joy and her husband run a film company, a documentary film production company out of New York. And she's going to talk about her life off of camera, you know, with her three kids and her husband. And mainly she's going to talk about politics and Trump and how she feels all of this fits into the political system. She's going to talk about the people who've inspired her, and she's also going to give her take 
on who could take down the Trumpster. All that and more today here on Rolanda On Demand. Hey, before I let you go, do not forget to follow me in social media so we can be together every day of the week. That's at Rolanda Watts, R-O-L-O-N-D-A, W-A-T-T-S, on Facebook and LinkedIn and IG and Twitter. You can also visit my YouTube channel, the Rolanda Watts channel over there on YouTube, and there's no telling what you'll find, but I know what you'll enjoy, some old Rolanda shows from back in the day. So go over there, you'll see comedy, you'll see cooking, you'll see gardening, you'll see everything. Just go over there to the Rolanda Village, the Rolanda Watts channel on YouTube. Now, let's get to our show. Joy Reid is coming up from MSNBC. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. Bold Radio, it's Rolanda. As opposed to getting that big pot out, you start with very little water. You start with your trinity, some onions and bell pepper and garlic. Oh, that's uh, your, oh, I like that, your trinity. There's all types of onions. I use every one, the red onion, the white onion, the brown onion, even the green onion. And, and you say if you don't like onions. Don't even tell people that you have it in there. <laughs> There's more Rolanda next. Talk, listen, connect. It's Rolanda. Ro, she said, I sit here and wash my dishes listening to you. Oh, that's and great. she said, you're my kitchen companion. That's what the whole thing is that you talk about and I talk about, too, is that is going for your dreams, trying something new, not being afraid to fail. We need to have passion in whatever we do. Without that passion, which is where the center of our creativity is, you're not going to have a fulfilling life. There's more Rolanda next. Talk. Listen. Connect. You're listening to Rolanda On Demand. I'm Rolanda Watts, and you are about to get a real treat from Joy Reid from MSNBC, the incomparable Joy Reid. Let me just remind you, I love it that you're listening to the show, but please subscribe. And I'd love it if you'd give a rating, only if you like it, though. (laughs) Please leave a rating there. Now, Joy Reid. Well, Joy Ann Reid, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on Rolanda On Demand. Rolanda, it's so much fun to talk with you, and it is great to do it on Rolanda On Demand. (laughs) Well, listen, (laughs) you know I've told you probably a gazillion times that I am not somebody who is really big on politics. It just kind of, you know, it's just, you know, I'm one of those folks where I I have to kind of know what's going on, but it just drives me nuts. And I can only stomach it when I'm listening to you. So thank you for helping me get to to, to the political (laughs) level here. But, you know, it's just such a crazy time, Joanne. What is going on? Well, you know what, first of all, that's a huge compliment. That is the best compliment that I ever get is from people who really aren't into politics. Because, you know, if you're like me and you're a political nerd, you know, I listen to all of it. I'm listening to Rachel. I've got, you know, MSNBC on. I'm watching it kind of like almost like a junkie, right? Just watching it and watching it. But for most people, they don't have time or necessarily an interest to follow politics, which in a normal time is perfectly fine, because particularly the president is so far from us in terms of what they do versus what we live in our everyday lives. They should not affect us. Mm -hmm. To have a president be this impactful in your day-to-day life and this impactful on your day-to-day psyche is very unusual. And I think it's it's destabilizing because most people don't have to think about the president this much. You think about him when you vote for him and you think about him again when it's time to vote for him again. And in between, they kind of take care of the bigger stuff that doesn't impact your day to day. Trump is in your day to day. In your day to day. 
every minute he's on your Twitter feed. He's insulting your congressman. He's insulting your celebrities you like. He's insulting the football players you, you watch. He's crashing into every cultural moment where you don't want him. And so what's unusual about this era for me as a person covering politics is that that destabilization and that intrusion is, is, is unusual. Obama came into your cultural life too, but always in a way to uplift something about culture. He's having jazz in the White House. They're playing the movie 40, uh, 44 in the White House and bigging up, you know, the, Jackie Robinson and picking up black history stars and bringing Aretha Franklin to sing and letting you in on the inside of power with celebrity. Trump is just forcing his way into your life. Mm. And so in it, you know, like I said, it's hard enough to stomach politics and then to mm-hmm. stomach it at this level is just so disgusting. I appreciate though, you know, you authors out there who write books about this stuff. You certainly have a New York Times bestseller, Joanne. I'm so proud of you. Joanne Reed's book is The Man Who Sold America, Trump and the Unraveling of the American Story. This, you know, some people would say it takes a lot of guts to write a, a, a book about somebody so mean. <laughs> yeah. And he noticed too, cause he tweeted at me at some point, but you know, yes. And, and you know, the thing about Donald Trump is Donald Trump is he's a, he's a Twitter bully, mm. right? He, he, it's easy for him to bully people on Twitter or to bully people when he's in a news conference. I call that a coward. <laughs> it's a cat. That's what I was going to say. He's, he mm. is a cat in real life, face to face. He's a coward. Donald mm. Trump has never fired anybody. Really. The people he's so-called fired on the apprentice, the producer decided who to fire. He just said the words, you're fired. Even in his administration, he's had the most turnover of any president, really, in history. He didn't fire those people. He would tell other people to fire him. He would find ways to get rid of them when they weren't looking. He hasn't fired someone man-to-man, face-to-face, that I've ever seen. So he's not a real bully. He's a fake bully. And so he is not what I fear. What I fear is what he's created in the cult that has been you know, that he's created around himself because he himself seems to just be like, like we've said, he's a cowardly man, but there's this cult around him that includes violent people, Mm -hmm. armed um, people, white nationalists, people who want to turn this country into basically a white nationalist, you know, ethno state. Those people are worth being afraid of. And the fact that he's made a religion out of politics. Like you said, most people don't follow politics because it's just politics. He's turned Republican politics into a religion. I'm just so shocked that his approval rating is so high. It's at an all time high right now. Mm-hmm. Because dealing with the impeachment, I mean, what more can this guy do? I mean, it's just yeah. yes, he was he was impeached by the House, and once you're impeached, you're impeached. You can't get unimpeached. You can't get de-impeached. You can't have repeat impeachment removed from you. You can't appeal it. The only way you can unimpeach a president is for is, is, is to go back in time. I mean, he was impeached, and that's it. Even if he's acquitted, and that is what's going to happen, he'll be acquitted in the Senate. But that does not undo impeachment. He remains impeached forever. So mm-hmm. impeachment already happened. That stain is on his record and uh, on his history forever. But will he be convicted? No, because the cult around him includes elected Republicans who are afraid to say no to him. They're afraid to stand up to him. They don't have the guts 
to convict him. And so to me, and you know, Bishop William Barber, who's become a good friend and he's kind of my spiritual counselor and friend, has said, this is like one of those old Southern trials, Rolanda, mm-hmm. where the man, where we know the man killed that black man. We know they killed Emmett Till. And they go in and the judge, the jury foreman, and the jury have all conspired to let them off. And that's what they do. Yes, he was. He was impeached by the House. And once you're impeached, because this is a rigged trial, Republicans went in saying, no, we're not going to convict him. None of them have the courage to do it. They won't do it. They know he's guilty. Some of them are admitting he's guilty. This is like this is exactly like an old Southern trial where an all-white jury acquits a man they know is guilty, winks and nods because he's one of them. That's what's happening in the Senate today. Mm, mm, mm. What do you think about Pelosi tearing up the speech? Ooh, gave me life. Let me say something. (laughs) Out of this mess, two heroes have emerged. Well, three. And just who are those heroes? We'll find out from Joy Ann right after this here on Rolanda On Demand. I'm Rolanda Watson. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating. Let me know what you're thinking. Also, follow me on social media at Rolanda Watts. That's R-O-L-O-N-D-A-W-A-T-T-S at Facebook and IG and Twitter and LinkedIn. Also, the Rolanda Watts channel on YouTube. Hey, and don't you need a special message sent to that special someone in your life? Join me on Cameo. Just go to cameo.com slash Rolanda Watts And there I am waiting to make a very special personalized message just for you, for somebody you love for any special occasion. It could be for the birthday or graduation or just to say I love you or get well soon. Whatever it is, just let me, you know I'll jazz up that message for you. Go on over to Cameo and order one now. Now, let's get back and find out who... Joy Ann's heroes are in this political landscape. And later, she's going to tell us which one of the candidates she believes can take on the Trumpster. One is Val Demings of, of, of Florida, who is amazing and I think has a huge future. The second one is Adam Schiff, who ran the impeachment um, House case, and he's brilliant and really emerged as just the eloquent you know, voice of reason in the country. But the third is Nancy Pelosi. She had the courage to, to stand up to her own caucus and impeach him over the objections of conservative and moderate Democrats. And when she ripped that speech up, that was a Democratic response. That little tape, that little, you know, boring thing by the Michigan governor later, that was not the Democratic response. When that lady tore that speech in like three, four pieces on national television while everyone was watching, uh, life freely given. Yes. <laughs> and now I think <laughs> the, the Simpsons even did, did a parody of it. So it's, yes. it's, uh, it's I was going to well, ask reaction, you. Her reactions are always classic because you remember his last State of the Union, she did a Pelosi clap. And now everybody's doing it. You know, she's been in a black church or two because she did that black Pelosi, <laughs> the black lady, um, you know, the senior citizen inside the cl- inside the church clap. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, as, as we say down south, treat them like an obituary with courteous Ooh. detachment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. But I love her and she looks good when she's doing it too. But mm. who are some of the other real heroes to you who've come out in politics? I mean, who are the people that, that you admire in, in your lane? Uh, you know, I admire Kamala Harris greatly. I was really mm-hmm. downhearted when she um, dropped her campaign for president. I, I think she's inspiring. 
I think um, she's the kind of person that I would like to see be the first woman president. Um, I feel the same way about Elizabeth Warren. I love the fact that she went from being a Reagan Republican to a Democrat who has devoted her life to trying to fix the world for regular people who are not rich, you know, mm-hmm. that that's what she primarily cares about in life. And she's created real policy like the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. She is somebody who inspires me. You know, I still remain inspired by the Obamas. I think they're the best of what, you know, American politics can create. I think their daughters are clearly have a huge future in front of them because they have amazing parents that's and right. amazing grandma too. Um, so I definitely admire them. You know, I think in the field right now, I feel like Warren is the only one who's left in the race who I find inspirational mm-hmm. and who can, I think, bring the country together under an inspirational banner. Um, but as far as, you know, beyond that, I, you know, I love Maxine Waters. I'm oh, like yeah. a major fan of hers. I love the way she speaks truth to power. And um, Congressman Al Green of Texas does a lot of the same thing. Um, I've known Frederica Wilson for since I was in Florida. So I love her and I love the way she stood up to Mike Kelly uh, the General Kelly. So I, I think there are a lot of great people in politics, a lot of people who really, you know, mean well and want to do good um, and do good things for people. I think politics is not as ugly as we think it is. It's just there are a lot of ugly people in it, and Trump is the ugliest of all. Well, who can handle him? Which candidate can actually, I mean, you know, you need a street fighter here. Who's who's yes. who's that candidate? So, you know, Eight years ago, I would think Joe Biden would would have been the guy because right. he used to be really sharp at comebacks and things. I think he's slowed down a little, and I think he's had so much personal tragedy losing his son. You know, his when he was a young man, he lost two other children and his then wife in a car accident. I mean, he's had a lot of tragedy in his life. I almost feel like I feel so sad for him. I just think he should maybe walk away from politics. Um, but as far as who in the field can handle Trump. You know, the, the little my little dark heart council kind of wants to see Michael Bloomberg debate Trump because I think he would destroy him. Right. I think it would destroy Trump mentally to debate to debate a real billionaire who's a true self made billionaire who's not afraid of him who's a fellow New Yorker. Mm-hmm. That debate to me would be must see TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Warren would be great at debating Trump as well. The others that are in the field. I just can't see it. I don't see what that debate looks like among anybody else. Maybe Andrew Yang would be fun to watch debate Trump. Oh, I know. You know something? He's been a refreshing candidate. I mean, yeah, he's, I, he's, like he's, I like him too. He's come in with a whole different kind of vibe, and I and I really like him. He's and he's funny. Well, he's funny, and I and, and and beyond just being fun, I think he's the only one who is who is really addressing a thing we've got to have to think about, which is. We are automating ourselves into creating tens of millions of unemployable people, truck drivers and retail workers. You notice there's no retail workers in the store anymore. You go in Target and there's no people. I mean, what are we going to do with all these people who do not have a college degree and do not have a skill set that can work in the 21st century when when companies pick their employees from all over the world wherever they can get the cheapest people? We're in trouble long term if we don't deal with that. And universal basic income is something a lot of European economists are thinking about. I think he and Warren are really thinking through the future the way it's going to be and how we're going to take care of people when we run out of jobs they can do. And you know, I that's, that's a important. that that's a I you know you don't think about those things the impact but you know when you said when you just said Target and I'm like where are the people in the store you're absolutely mm-hmm. right and and yeah. um, wow. That we have so many issues in this nation, and it just it yeah. upsets me so much that that uh, we have a president who is who is so divisive in in so many ways to the core mm-hmm. of the soul of this nation. In yeah. Iowa, 
is Iowa. I mean, Iowa, we get it. I mean, that's the, the caucus and all of that. And, you know, but people there don't look like the rest of America. <laughs> is, right. How important is what comes out of Iowa? No, I, mean, I think it's not important anymore. Julian Castro gets the A-plus for um, being ahead of his time and saying that we need to stop having Iowa go first right. and New Hampshire and New Hampshire go first. These are unrepresentative states. They're not diverse. They don't represent the Democratic Party. You know, Republicans starting there is not a problem because the Republican Party is almost all white. So if they start their joint in Iowa and New Hampshire, not a problem for them. But for, black, for Democrats who rely on people of color, they should not be starting their um, presidential primaries in Iowa, New Hampshire. Um, and he was right about that. And now Iowa's the slip up with the app. I think the two things that shows are number one, Iowa is really not, it's not appropriate for Iowa to go first because they just don't represent the state. And caucuses are even more unrepresentative. I mean, Rolanda, with your life right now, as busy as you are, would you have time to be in a caucus room stuck from seven to 11? No. Just sitting there? No. And, you know, you don't have time for that. Nobody has time for that unless you are, you know, retired and wealthy or a student and students don't show up. So <laughs> they have to end that. That whole, I think this is the last, I, I ran into a major democratic stakeholder who I won't name, um, put them out there like that. And they're somebody who has very, a lot of influence in the party and who, who said to me, who is white and who said, I think tonight we just saw the last Iowa caucus. I think it's over. Yeah, you know, I I got that feeling too, and I've and I've, you know, we don't even think about let's get rid of it because it's been around for so long. But then when you really look at it, and 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 yeah, it's just not so not representative at all. No, what's end. it going to take? End. What's it going to take to get Trump out of office? What's it going to take? Well, here's the here's the the, the twenty million dollar question, right? I mean, first of all, it's going to take millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. I think it's going to take a billion dollars. He's going to have unlimited money to spend. Because not only is he going to spend all the money that his supporters are shoveling into his pockets, they don't even think. He says, buy this straw because the Democrats, the liberals are going to take your straws away. They're like, okay, I'll pay $27 for a straw. His people are in a religious movement. They're not, polit- they're not in politics. They're in a re- it's a religion. They would give him, like they do the, the preacher that takes all your money while they're driving a Benz and a Rolls Royce. He's the preacher that's, that's driving the Benz and the Rolls Royce. And his people are putting the money in the collection plate. So he's going to have this happen. This is just how did this happen to America? I'm just like, <laughs> look, look, Abraham Lincoln said it was something to the effect of you turn your back on the bonfire and get burnt. You have to sit with the blisters. So, yeah, I mean, well, he is partly to blame. I mean, I have to say Lincoln, Lincoln made a decision that I think is the first step toward Trump. Really? And what he did is I, d- I do believe that because Lincoln's first Vice President Hannibal Hamlin was like the wokest white man in the 18th century, in the seven in the 19th century. He believed in full freedom for black and white people. He believed in arming black people to let them fight for the union. He believed in voting rights. He believed in civil rights. And Abraham Lincoln dropped him from the ticket when he ran for his second term because he wanted to appease the South. And appeasing the South has gotten us more problems as black people than anything else. He appeased the South by putting Andrew Johnson on the ticket. And then one year later, he got assassinated. And this country was left in the hands of the first Donald Trump, whose Mm -hmm. name was Andrew Johnson, who got impeached just like Trump did. But he got impeached for refusing to enforce Reconstruction, for refusing to protect black people in the South from angry white former slave owners, 
for refusing to, uh, for vetoing the first civil rights bill. The first civil rights act would have been passed in 1866 because, but he vetoed it. He vetoed wow. it. So, and finally, the, the, and this, this is when the Democrats and Republicans were reversed. So, Repub- you know, Lincoln's a Republican. He puts this Democrat, Andrew Johnson, on, but the Democrats used to be the right wing slavery party. Now he's president. The Republican Congress impeaches his behind for refusing to enforce literally the physical protection of black people because he fires the Secretary of War who was protecting the black people in the South. He gets impeached just like Trump gets impeached. He survives by one vote. He doesn't run for reelection. But the movement he created, of re- they call it redemption, this mm. idea that Reconstruction would die and every black person who wanted freedom would die with it, that took hold. And that's part of the reason we got here. So by the time we get to FDR, he's appeasing the South by cutting us out of a lot of the New Deal. And by the time you get forward to the 1960s, the whole Republican Party has flipped into the right wing party and they're appeasing the South. And, and it's like we keep appeasing the people who never wanted black people to be free. And Trump is the redemption period for today, because having Obama was like reconstruction and white Americans who couldn't stand the idea that black people could have the White House gave us Trump. Mm-hmm. That's really what my book is about, honestly, is that it's about white America, not all of it, but the part of it that cannot accept equality is who gave us Trump. Mm-mm-mm. And when we come back, Joanne is going to share with us what the turning point was for her that triggered her to write this book, The Man Who Sold America. It's already a New York Times bestseller, and she's already gotten a few tweets from Trump. It's called Trump and the Unraveling of the American Story. What was the point of no return when she said she had to write this book? We'll hear about that and more coming up from Joanne Reed from MSNBC right after this. Hey, by the way, don't forget you can catch Joanne every weekend at 10 a.m. on MSNBC on AM Joy. Bold Radio, it's Rolanda. I can only imagine that this has changed your lives as well, David and Divine, that helping people really does make a difference in your world, doesn't it, Dee? I just want to say that, yeah, you're right. You know, um, just walking this path has been a very beautiful path, and now I'm just dedicated to making a living off a given. Making a living off a given. There's more Rolanda next. Talk, listen, connect. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. It's row time. Welcome back to Rolanda On Demand. What part of Trump was the triggering part for you that said, I've got to put this in a book? I mean, what, what was the one, I mean, mm-hmm. was there one moment that you said, this is it? It, it was when he, when he started taking those babies from their parents, it, uh, you know, and I, um, for, from, for, for my show, I went down to Tornillo, Texas, and we, we visited one of the camps and these weren't the children had been snatched from their parents by Trump. They had come unaccompanied and they put them in a military camp that looked like a prison camp and looking into those children's eyes and seeing their little lost faces and then sources that I talked with that were dealing with the snatched kids, the kids they stole from their mom, ripped them away from their mom, told them they were going to the bathroom and never came back. Mm. And, the, and then they never saw their parents again. And some of them will never see their parents again. In some cases, the Trump people have been deporting the mom and keeping the kid and then putting the kid in foster care. And then maybe the foster care person wants to adopt the kid. And then the kid gets forcibly adopted out. 
mm-hmm. without the parents even knowing where the child is. This cruelty toward children was the last straw for me. You know, it was bad enough he was trying to keep people like that look like you and me out and my own family members that are immigrants, keep them out. That was terrible enough and refugees. But taking those kids, that was my last straw. Yeah. What do you hope the book will accomplish? And and I'm, I'm you know, you are... You're well. You've been a perfect. You've been a teacher. You're you're just brilliant. Harvard, everything. But I just love the way you take really tough topics. And and what what's even tougher is as smart as you are, you still don't know everything about America because they didn't teach that in the U.S. history class, right? And yeah. how you take these difficult topics and bring them down to storytelling. It's really I just I can't wait to curl up with your book. But what do you hope that it's going to accomplish? And when we read that, what do you want us to, what is the takeaway? I mean, is is America gone now? (laughs) (laughs) Is it totally unraveled? (laughs) It's almost gone, sis. I mean, you know, I'm not optimistic at this moment. I hope it gets better. But what I hope people will take away from it is is, is it's an opportunity to confront the ugliness of American history without taking it personal. Because what I try to do in what, you know, in, in storytelling is to say to people, you know, history is not an accusation. It's just history. And if we just take it in and accept that it's accept the realities of even the bad parts of our history, we can learn. And one of the things that I do in the book is compare us to South Africa. And it's a warning. It's saying this is South Africa. We I have, we track them in history. Our histories are the same. They're similar. They both had slavery. They both oppressed black people. And eventually the real majority black people took back over that country. Mm-hmm. And the white people in South Africa were terrified of being the minority. And they fought it every way they could with laws and rules. That's what white people here are doing. Mm-hmm. They're fighting to not be the minority. And that's why they want to deport every brown person, keep out every black immigrant, and they want to hurt uh, and, and incarcerate as many black people as possible. They may not even be consciously aware that it's all a package deal, but that's what it is. Why mm-hmm. do you think they care about abortion? Why should you care about what somebody else has a baby? Because there's not enough of them. Mm-hmm. And there's not enough of them being produced. They want more of them than there are of us. And that just cannot be done. It's impossible to prevent the the natural majority of brown and black people from coming forward. The question is, can you do to us what white South Africans did to black South Africans oppress us even when we're the majority? If we don't look sharp, they will. Mm -hmm. Don't you think Andrew Barr would? Don't you think Donald Trump would? Don't you think Mitch McConnell would? If they could have 1980s South Africa here and oppress us even when we're the majority, they will. And so I want people to read the book as a warning, really, an explanation of how we got here and a warning of where we could go. Wow. How, you know, I think writers are, would love to know just what your whole process was in, in getting the book done. You, you, you had an idea and did it, did it just flow out of you? I mean, what is your, you're, you're constantly working. How do you write a book too? <laughs> Just because I don't sleep. First of all, don't do what I'm doing, which is not sleep. <laughs> Sleeping is good. Um, basically, I what I did for the book is I rather than just give like 200 and some pages of my own opinion, I wanted to get the opinions of smart people. So I started by doing a couple dozen interviews with people um, who's who either people I knew, like Karine Jean Pierre and Maria Teresa Kumar, who you see a lot on AM Joy. Or people I didn't know, like um, there's a South African scholar that I called South Africa and, and talked to him, tracked him down. 
um, and, and journalists from around the world. And I interviewed all these people. And then once I had those interviews and I had the transcripts, I read back over the transcripts and pulled what I thought were important pieces. And then I wrote around those. So a lot of the book is stories from other people kind of explaining from their point of view how we ended up with Trump. And then I put it together with my own analysis, we woven through it, and that's kind of how I put it together. It's it's hard for me to write just looking at a blank sheet of paper. I get writer's block, so mm-hmm. I kind of have to wait till I get an inspiration. I just just drop it all out there. <laughs> well, listen, the book is called The Man Who Sold America, Trump and the Unraveling of the American Story. And Joanne, if it's anywhere like uh, anything like watching you, <laughs> reading you, it's anything like watching you, we're going to be informed, entertained and stay woke. <laughs> yes, yes, now, yes. Now you're, yes, you're also a mom. You're also a mom and a wife, mother of three. Mm-hmm. I adore yep. your son. I met Jamar and adore him. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I, I think he's pretty great. Yeah. What kind of mom are you? Do you are you strict? Are you? <laughs> no, you know, that's a great question because, you know, my mom was a West Indian. So I was raised by, you know, strict West Indian mother. Um, so I'm not strict like she was. Um, you know, and my, my daughter is, is looking at me sideways from across the room here as I'm talking. I don't think <laughs> I'm... I don't think that I'm super strict, um, but we, we basically we try to be real with our kids and kind of, you know, give them the realities of the way things are in the world and not really shelter them too much, even though they were lucky enough to grow up, you know, in with, with parents that had good careers and could, you know, have them in a nice home with a yard. You know, they, they were lucky as, as black kids, I think. Mm. Um, you know, I'm a fun mom. I'm always trying to do big Christmases and big holidays. You know, I try to go big on all the birthdays. I'm still going to give them balloons, even though they grown, <laughs> you know, and try to make it over the top.com. Um, so that's kind of, I try to be fun and, you know, I love to do a field trip when they were younger, take them out, let them go out and see different parts of the world. Cause my mother was an adventurous mom that took us everywhere. She you know, we went on road professor. trips. She was a college professor, yeah, and she was always all. We were always on the road in our station wagon, driving all over the country. We went to we went to Wyoming one time. We drove all the way to San Francisco. We drove to Mexico. We would just drive from Colorado to wherever we could get to in our in our station wagon. And this was back in the eighties when gas was cheap, so we kind of got to go everywhere. <laughs> and you grew up where? In Denver. So we, when I was two, we moved from Brooklyn to Denver, Colorado, and that's where my brother was born. So it was my mother and uh, her three kids. My uh, She and my uh, father had split up by then. Um, and so it was just really the four of us. And we just kind of did everything together. We were a little little family unit of four. We went everywhere she went most of the time. Um, and, you know, we always had those guardians around town that would, you know, watch us and make sure that we weren't misbehaving uh, and tell on us. And we would get in trouble. We had that kind of a neighborhood where they would, you know, bring you a pie when you moved in. It was that kind of a safe neighborhood. It was very lucky. I feel lucky to have grown up, you know, in the eighties, um, in a safe neighborhood. that was a black neighborhood where you met black judges and black veterans and every level of black person lived there. And we were, it was our town. So mm-hmm. I just feel very lucky to have grown up that way. And who inspired you? Was it, the, was, was it that judge who might have gotten you into politics? I mean, who was it that you really looked up to? Well, I mainly looked at my mother. I was definitely a mama's girl. Uh, you know, she was really into politics. And so I would, I got into it because she was into it. Um, and I would sit up. I remember the first, the first person that I re- the first news I ever really watched was Nightline. 
Um, and I remember in sixth grade, the Iran hostage crisis happened and I was just mesmerized by it. Um, and I asked my mom, could I sit up and watch this new show that ultimately became Nightline? And I watched that show from sixth grade all the way till I graduated high school every night. Um, and so I think I would say Ted Koppel was probably the first kind of news person that I, you know, kind of noticed, you know, um, and there weren't that many black people, black women, especially on TV. So of course, you know, Gwen Eiffel was somebody that I deeply admired. Uh, Carol Simpson was like fascinating to me because she was a black woman doing this job. I used to watch a show called the Rolanda show. I used to watch you on TV too. I did. I I used to love your talk show. I loved that show. Now you can go on YouTube and watch it. <laughs> now you can watch it on YouTube. Exactly. And it's funny because you met my son and I, w- and I was like, let me, I, I want to show you this show. So I actually found the shows on YouTube to show him so he can watch right. them. I'm like, mom, I enjoyed that show. So, I mean. Well, I am know, so people, glad. That makes me so happy. Yeah. Well, you're <laughs> a pioneer. I you now. Well, right. And well, you know, from having been in the business, especially when, when you were doing it, there was, you know, you, Oprah, there weren't that many black women. I used to watch Oprah. And the thing is, is that we as black women are so, we're so rare on TV, you know, all this time that I'm just happy there were more than four of us. (laughs) I know. And you know, it just amazes me to turn on TV and see two black women anchoring or, or, you know, know. or a whole black cat. It's just amazing. Or a woman sitting yes. in your position. I mean, because remember yeah. back, there weren't a lot of, you know, the sitting in the main seats of national news either, women. That's right. So We were uh, always the side person, right? And you would you do local news as well. And I worked in local news for a while, not as an on-air person, but it was always amazing. They would put one black woman, but on the side of a man, of a man, of a white man usually. Right. You know, and we, we, who would yeah. move through the Monday through Friday, six o'clock, while you stayed there on the weekends. I know that. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know how it goes, sister. So it's, yes, the business yeah. has never been that friendly to us. So I feel blessed that, you know, one of the things I try to do on the show is while I have the chair, because, you know, they get sick of us when they get sick of us and I can't control that. But while I have the, the pa- you know, the power, I do try to book as many black people as I can to make that next sister, the next young brother. I try to give them airtime. And I'm very proud that AM Joy has Really, you know, I, I give us credit for launching a lot of black talent or at least, you know, making them popular on MSNBC. And we're always looking for more black people that we can put on. Well, here's one. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I'd, have to, Come on. I'd have to tighten up my political act. but <laughs> <laughs> and You know what? And you know what I would love about doing that? Because we do this all the time. We'll bring on celebrity you know, friends, you know, I, this is how I got to know Yvette Nicole Brown. Um, you um, know, this is how I got to know Erica Alexander, because the thing is, is that people who are not necessarily doing politics 24 seven also care about the country, mm-hmm. also have thoughts about what Trump and other people are doing. And I think we need, we, we benefit from having voices on TV that are not steeped in this 24 seven. It right. makes us, I think, better broadcasters, I think. Right. Well, listen, you know, I'm always there for you and I just adore you and I'm just so proud of you and keep, and you looking fabulous. What'd you do? You had a makeover? <laughs> <laughs> I just did my hair like a natural sister would because you know what? That's that crown act. I don't have to wear my hair in wigs and weaves and my hair, you know, worrying about my hair falling out and putting chemicals in my hair. I have gone chemical free. I'm so happy that I don't have to 
I don't have to relax my hair ever again in life. And so I'm loving my braids. Well, you look like a queen. I walked by the TV and it, I literally stopped and it and clutched my pearls. It took my <laughs> breath away. I said, you queen, you better work. <laughs> you work. I love it. I'm so happy because I, the, the, that creamy crack was killing my scalp, my hair. I was, and I'm so relieved not to ever have to put it in my hair again. Mm, well, you keep it up because you're looking great. One last question. Thanks. Would mm-hmm. you ever run for, for office? You know, I, I've, I've been asked this a lot. And I would say out of all the jobs in politics, the only one I could see myself ever wanting to do is mayor. Because mayors are closest to the people. It's a job where you can still be a regular person and live in the city that your home is in. And you're a part of the community and you can do things that people see right now, right away. President has to be the most miserable job in the world because you do something and then maybe a year or two later you see the result because you're so distant. You know, that job is so high up from us that it doesn't affect people directly. You can do individual things like give someone an award or, you know, create a a program that you can then see it play out. Like, you know, my brother's keeper with Barack Obama, but mayor, now that's a dope job. You know what I mean? Like being (laughs) the mayor of a town would be amazing. I'd totally do that. (laughs) I can see you now. I can see you now. Well, Joy, I have had, you, you, I see why your mama named you that. (laughs) (laughs) You keep us informed and keep us educated, honey. And the book, once again, is The Man Who Sold America. Joanne Reed is doing it. And the book is about Trump and the unraveling of the American story. And I tell you, this has been some kind of saga. But like I said, Joy, when we listen to you, you you help us take the medicine (laughs) and stay woke. (laughs) We put some sugar in it, too, because we try to be goofy and silly with it. So, yeah, well, it's 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 I really like how you handle that. Like I said, these tough topics and make it interesting and entertaining and and informative. And that's uh, that's that's doing an ace job. Thank you so much again and have a beautiful day. Thank you, Rolanda. You're welcome. (laughs) Hey, don't forget to catch Joy every Saturday and Sunday on MSNBC on her show, AM Joy. It airs from 10 a.m. Eastern Time to noon Eastern Time. So I know she wants to see you there this weekend. Her book, once again, is The Man Who Sold America, Trump and the Unraveling of the American Story. Sure to be a good one to curl up with. It's already a New York Times bestseller. Thank you so much for listening to Rolanda On Demand. I'm Rolanda Watts, and I hope you'll have all your friends and family joining us over here and listening to the podcast. Please leave me a rating and follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and LinkedIn at Rolanda Watts. That's R-O-L-O-N-D-A. And speaking of books, why don't you pick up Destiny Lingers? It's my romance suspense novel you can find over there on Amazon. It's endorsed by Dr. Maya Angelou, and it's about a New York City investigative news reporter who gets a second chance at her first love after dealing with the pain of her first marriage. Oh, it's a juicy one. Go check it out (laughs) on Amazon. Thanks again for listening. Now go out there and do something good. Thank you for listening to C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.